Church on a, a series uh, about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one of the Godhead, one of the Trinity, three in one. Uh, we sang about this morning, we believe in God the Father, we believe in Christ the Son, we believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. And as Anne pointed out um, last week, probably the least understood member of the Godhead. Um, and spent some time last week pointing out the absolute necessity for us to interact with and to know the Holy Spirit. Um, that the fact that from creation right through God's story of the gospel we are reliant on the Holy Spirit. And yet it's a sad truth that, that He is the least understood member of the Godhead and that for some people they see their Christianity as having the Holy Spirit almost as an add-on to their salvation or to their Christian walk. Um, and that that can be for, for many reasons. Christian response to the Holy Spirit can, can vary dramatically. From my own testimony, as I've sometimes shared from this pulpit, I, I grew up in a very conservative Christian environment where we were very big on the Word. Uh, we were very big on salvation. Uh, we were very big on honoring and respecting God. And we were quite afraid to speak about the Holy Spirit. Um, it wasn't that He was dishonored in any way in our church. In fact, the contrary, people were so afraid of offending the Holy Spirit that we just didn't speak about Him. And I can't remember as a young person hearing a teaching on the Holy Spirit. And so there are some people who go through their Christian walk trying to get by with a knowledge of the Word and a deep commitment to God but without tapping into all that there is available to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. There is another extreme. Um, if you are internet savvy and you read your newspapers and you read online, there's been a person who's um, been having the internet buzzing this week. He's a guy who calls himself Prophet Alec Ndwani um, from Pretoria in South Africa. And he's been in the news this week because during a trip with some of the members of his church in the Kruger National Park in South Africa, which is a big game reserve, Alex and Dwani um, believed that God wanted to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit very graphically to the people that were with him. And so, while parked near a pride of lions, this is true, guys, this happened. I'm going to show you a picture. Alex and Dwani, believing he was under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, left the car and charged towards a pride of lions feeding on an impala. Um, the lions, equally spiritually, looked up and thought that manna was coming from heaven. <laughs> and so they charged towards Alex and Dwani, who then decided that perhaps he was misguided and hadn't heard correctly. And so he turned around and fled back uh, towards the car. Um, didn't make it all the way. Um, there's a picture. That's what happened. That is Alex. Uh, the lions reached him and pulled him to the ground. Fortunately, there were some game rangers close by who fired shots in the air, and Alex was able to be retrieved um, and underwent emergency surgery to save his bottom, um, which had been badly injured by the lions. Um, there's an extreme here. There is an ignoring of what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives, and there is taking a position in which he is seen to be so strange and weird that people justify absurd behavior by saying 
that that was of the Spirit. Um, and so it's really, really, I believe, vitally important for us as Christians to gain an understanding of who this wonderful person is. Not to be afraid to interact with him, not to be afraid to, to in any way um, draw him into our lives and by the same token to honor him and respect him and see him for who he is so that in our lives he takes the place that he should take. I believe that our, our spread of response to him reflects our ignorance of who he is and what his role in the Godhead is and it reflects the difficulty we have in understanding an invisible God. You know, it's interesting in terms of, of, of our understanding of God. We, we, we have to deal with the being that is outside of our experience. Everything that we can describe accurately, we describe by relating it to something that we really understand. But we can't describe God because He transcends our understanding. He's outside of our understanding. It's, it baffles me that, that people feel that Christians should be able to scientifically explain their God. We believe in this awesome transcendent God who created the heavens and the earth, and then people say to us, explain Him to us. I can't. I can't. Any more than I could balance a little ant on my finger and explain quantum physics to him. Firstly, because I don't understand it, and secondly, he hasn't got the brain power to receive it. God can't impart a complete understanding of himself to me, but it's interesting. As Christians, we seem to have a certain amount of confidence in understanding God the Father, who is not visible to us physically, but this invisible God lives in heaven, and we will first encounter him when one day we die, or when we stand before the judgment throne uh, at the end of the ages. And so we're able, in some ways, to defer our understanding of him to the later stage. So it's okay. God the Father, we can deal with the fact that we can't explain him. God the Son, Jesus, manifests himself in the flesh. And we were able, or the mankind was able to physically interact with him and see him and see his characteristics and his behavior. And so we are very confident as Christians in our understanding of Christ. But we find it quite difficult, and many of us find it quite difficult, to, to interact with and understand an invisible God who is here right now. Right now, the Holy Spirit is present amongst us. Not because we've conjured Him up, not because Ant did an amazing job leading worship, which I believe He did. It was a wonderful time of worship. But God is here because He gathers with His people and because He comes in with His people. And He's present here right now. He is listening to every word that I say. He's the additional person in this room. He knows every word that I'm saying, and He also knows every word that I'm thinking. And the same goes for you. And I'm relying on Him to help me to impart what I need to say this morning accurately and clearly. At the same time, I'm trusting that He will be forgiving when in my human frailty I might mess up and not do it as accurately as He wants. But He's here. And he knows what's going on, and he knows you, and he knows me intimately. And I would say this, probably even as I say that to you now, in some of us, I'm creating a slight sense of unease. Some people might be going, yeah! And some people might be going, um, how, how am I supposed to deal with that? Is he here to spy on me? Is he here to catch me out? Is he God's, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spy? who's here to check up on us so that God can have a complete list of things to punish us for um, when He chooses to. And that sense of unease or, or perhaps 
what am I supposed to do with that that might be coming is because of the fact that we don't really always get to grasp with who He is and feel comfortable in intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the series of, of, of uh, talks that we're doing, of, of sermons that we're doing, the preaching that we're doing over the next uh, weeks and months is to hopefully through interacting with the Holy Spirit in talking about Him, in honoring Him, in respecting Him, we can bring all of us to a position where we are desiring to have Him fully active in our lives and filling our lives and overflowing from our lives in whatever way He chooses to do so. And that, that's why we're talking about this. We struggle with this person sometimes that we just can't see. Now, I want to refer you to a scripture which I think deals with that. Um, when Jesus is meeting in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, if I said to you, John chapter 3, Nicodemus, you would quote to me in all likelihood John 3, 3, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And you would quote to me John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But Jesus says something very profound about the Holy Spirit in John 3, 3. I just want to read you. It says, Jesus replied, and he's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him and says, Interestingly, he says, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one could perform the signs that you do uh, if God were not with him. And Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, verse 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised by me saying you must be born again. Listen to this. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus uses what I think is a, is a wonderful example for us of how we actually need to get to know about the Holy Spirit. You and I have never seen the wind, but we know quite a lot about wind. We can even define certain aspects about wind. There's something called the Beaufort scale. Are we able to put that up on the screen? I don't know if you can see that, but before people started measuring the wind by wind in knots or miles per hour, people used the Beaufort scale, which compared things that the wind did. It said, uh, a force naught on the Beaufort scale says that the sea is calm, that smoke rises vertically. Force 1 on the Beaufort scale says the direction of the wind is shown by smoke drift. So smoke will move. It's strong enough to move smoke, but not allow it to move a wind vane. Uh, a force 2, wind felt on the face, leaves rustle, ordinary veins move. Level 3, leaves and small wigs in constant, uh, twigs in constant motion, wind extends. Down to a 6, large branches in motion, whistling heard in telegraph wires. Going on to a force 8, gale and force 9 and so forth. And the wind is defined by what it does. I would put it to you that we can gain some more knowledge about the Holy Spirit in the Bible, not because we can see Him, not because the Bible takes a lot of time to actually describe who He is. He's not described beyond the names that He's given. He's called Comforter. He's called Counselor. He's described by His characteristics. But He's also visible in the Bible in both the Old and the New Testament by what He does. He reveals Himself through the way in which he acts on this earth, and we can get to know something about him, just like we can get to know something about the wind without ever seeing it, 
by what it does, by the consequences of it, by the actions that it causes and by, by the results of it being there. And so what we're going to be doing in just a minute is looking at some instances from the Old and the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is revealed through what He does. But I'd also say to you that it is important to realize that His nature and His personality are revealed in other ways as well. When we talk about God the Father as being a triune God or the Trinity or the Godhead three in one, we're talking about the same person. God manifests in an inexplicable way in more than one way. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But God is not schizophrenic. And God is not suffering from multiple personality disorder. I'm not a psychologist, but schizophrenia, in my understanding of it, talks about the disintegration of personality, that people's personality begins to fragment into different ways in which they present themselves, and those different ways are very different from one another. Multiple personality is when somebody begins to manifest different people in their behavior. And I think some people kind of think that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, because they manifest in different ways, have different personalities and different characteristics. No, God is one. God says in His own word, I am not a man, I do not change. So one of the ways we need to remember while we're looking through these things that we can have a better understanding of the personality and the character of the Holy Spirit is look at Jesus. It's the same person. He is the same person in a different way. Again, if you listen to people talking, it's sometimes God the Father. He's the awesome, powerful one. Jesus, the Son, He's the friendly one. The Holy Spirit, He's the strange, scary one. But that's not the case. Our God is three in one, manifest in different ways. But if you want to understand the personality of the Holy Spirit, look at the personality of Jesus Christ. When you are struggling to become intimate with the Holy Spirit and to invite Him to flow in the fullness of His life, look at the compassion and the generosity and the life-changing power which Jesus imparted to those people who were intimate with Him in His life. It's the same person. We're not dealing with a different personality. So in looking for an understanding of this wonderful person, and you would note I keep speaking about the Holy Spirit as Him. He's not an it. He's not like a, He's not the force. Okay, this is not the, the Christian version of, of, of Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is the person of God manifest in a different way. With a personality, with the same power, the same, the same love, the same righteousness, the same holiness, the same compassion, the same attention to detail in knowing individuals that God has. But if we go back to saying, let's have a little look at who this person is in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I'm going to look at some random samples. What I did was, because nowadays mostly I read my Bible on my phone and it's got a search engine on it, uh, in, in, well, a search facility in the phone. I just typed in to, to my Bible to search in the Old Testament for Spirit of God. And a number of scripture references popped up and I've selected from those just some samples of God operating in the Old Testament and then we're going to look at the New Testament and leading into next week we'll go more into how that interacts with us of God revealing the role that the Holy Spirit plays. The very first time he's mentioned obviously in the Old Testament is right in the beginning with creation and we need to go there just to start. In Genesis 1 and verse 2 it says 
Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over its waters. We need to realize that the Holy Spirit was not introduced into the narrative of God later on when God said, oh, well, I've got to interact with these people now and I don't know how to do it anymore. I will invent the Holy Spirit. God has always been Spirit. God has always been this person. He was there at the beginning of creation. He's not been had to be brought up to speed by God later on in what's going on. He has been ever-present there and was God himself as he was creating. God created mankind in this perfect environment of the Garden of Eden with the capability of interacting with God face to face. And he gave man dominion over the world. And this is something which is maybe going to be helpful for you in terms of how God uses the Holy Spirit in the world today and in the Old Testament or how he manifests himself as the Holy Spirit. When Adam and Eve first walked on the earth, they saw God face to face and God spoke to them directly and they did what God wanted because they were in tune with God, they were doing God's will, they were sinless and were functioning fluently and perfectly with God. Sin comes into the world and breaks that relationship down and Adam and Eve hand over the authority of the world to Satan. How do I know that? Because Satan, when he confronts Jesus, when he's trying to tempt him in, in, in the temptation in the wilderness, he says to Jesus, I will give you all of the world, for it is mine to give, if you will just worship me. And Jesus refuses to worship him. Jesus takes back authority by dying on the cross. But he doesn't say to Satan, you don't have authority, because Adam and Eve, by submitting to Satan's will rather than to God's, had given him a place to function in authority on this world. When God chooses to interact with man on the earth. He, he works with, in the Old Testament in the beginning with individuals and he begins to build a nation. But in order to have them able to do what God wants, God through his Holy Spirit empowers mankind to function on earth in a way that God wants him to function. For us to do the will of God on earth we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Particularly in the Old Testament when the, when the world was not redeemed by, by Jesus, when authority had not yet been brought back by the blood of Jesus. And so God works through individuals in the Old Testament. We don't hear of a pouring out of God's Spirit on all mankind, like we do, or on, on all of His followers, like we do in, 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 in um, Acts chapter 2 when we're going to get there. But we hear about God working through individuals and empowering them to do things that He wants them to do. And my samples are quite random because they just kicked up I said Spirit of God and they came up. The first one I want to give you, one of the first that came up is in Genesis 41 and verse 38. I'm going to just give you the background story. A young man called Joseph, son of Jacob, Jacob and sons, Jacob and his 12 sons. Joseph, the youngest, well, second youngest at this point, the favorite, um, a miserable little guy when we first meet him, telling on his brothers, bragging about the things that were better in him. Quite a precocious telltale, hated by his brothers. And you know the story because most of you have seen the Technicolor Dreamcoat. He gets grabbed by his brothers, he gets sold into slavery, he has an awful time, an awful time in Egypt, landing up in jail for things he hasn't done. But his faith in God grows and God's presence with him grows until the time that Pharaoh gets him to stand before Pharaoh. And through the Spirit of God, Pharaoh's dreams are revealed to Joseph and Joseph does something which elevates him to a position of strength. And I don't know if everybody remembers the fact 
of what Pharaoh said at the time that he elects Joseph. He says this, so Pharaoh asked him, because Joseph says, you're going to need a man to lead you through the famine. And Pharaoh says to the people around him, can we find anyone like this man in whom is the Spirit of God? Joseph's ability to serve God in the way that he did and become the, the, the savior of his family by bringing them into Egypt and bringing all the change that he does and ushering in the growth of the nation of Israel was done because even Pharaoh could see that the Spirit of God was in this man. What changed him from being a moaning, telltale, arrogant little brother to being a powerful man leading the nation of Egypt and ushering in God's purpose in his plan? What changed him? The presence of the Spirit of God in him. He was not able to do what he did here. He was not able to interpret the dreams or influence Egypt or do the things that were needed by God to be done at that time in God's plan without the Holy Spirit in him. Even Pharaoh sees that. This was not his experience. This was not his talent. This was not his training. This was something supernatural. You know, the word supernatural has become something that is used for horror movies. As Christians, we need to be comfortable with the supernatural, the above the natural. God is above the natural. We need to take back that word. God is, transcends nature. And this is God acting supernaturally through His Spirit. God the Father in heaven, through His Holy Spirit, empowering Joseph in Egypt to do things that he couldn't do himself to fulfill the purpose of God and to be a blessing. It's not something new in the New Testament that God's Holy Spirit empowers people to do things that they can't do. If we move on, here's something I'd never seen. I must have read it many times but never noticed. Do you know a guy called Bezalel? Who's familiar with Bezalel? Yeah, cool. One person knows Bezalel. Bezalel was an artisan. He was a craftsman. And I never knew, I'd never noticed that he's somebody mentioned in the Old Testament as being filled or being empowered by the Holy Spirit. If we look in Exodus chapter 31 and verse 3, Moses has been given instructions by God on the construction of the tabernacle, the meeting tent where God was going to manifest His presence, where God was going to meet with Israel, and God gives very detailed instructions about how He wants this tent to be. It takes a long time. Go and have a look in Exodus and go and have a look at, at the detail that God goes into. And he says this in Exodus chapter 31. In verse 2 he says, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. What? Did you know that? That the craftsman who built the tabernacle was supernaturally gifted and inspired by the Spirit of God. Think about it. Nobody had ever built a tabernacle before. There were no blueprints. There were no skill sets. You did not advertise for a tabernacle builder. It was a new thing. And yet God wanted it done very precisely. Practically impossible, isn't it? And so God says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. A very practical thing, a very everyday thing. Sometimes because of people like 
bless his heart, and I'm sure God loves him dearly, Alec and Dwani, the lion chaser. Sometimes because of the actions of people like that, people think that God working through people by the Holy Spirit always has to be something that looks slightly strange or is spectacular. But here God says he's filled someone with the Holy Spirit to fulfill a very specific task of an artisan. What a wonderful history. I, I'm so sorry I'd never met Bella Zell before. What a great guy. Let's move on. Slightly more notorious guy, but he turns out good in the end. Guy called Balaam. Just to give you a background, the Moabites want to have a go at Israel, and they want to get a man of God to actually curse Israel. So they get hold of this, appears to be slightly wobbly guy called Balaam, and they try and get him to prophesy against Israel and to curse them before their battle. The Moabite king is a guy called Balak. And this is the story which you might have heard and been slightly confused about, about the talking donkey. Because Balaam's going off to do things in the wrong way and God uses his donkey to stop him because the angel of the Lord is standing about to slay him if he crosses a certain area and the, the donkey won't go and he keeps lashing the donkey. And eventually the donkey talks to him. I often use that example as saying, you know, if, if you won't speak out for God, you can find a donkey to do it. It's not us, it's God working through us. But the big thing is, it says here in um, Numbers chapter 24 and verse 2, God ministers to Balaam, and it says this, When Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came on him, and he spoke this message. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, whose prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the word of God, who sees the vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob. He does exactly the opposite to what mankind is trying to get him to do and pressure him into doing. He prophesies and says, by the vision of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I speak a blessing and I speak a vision of, of success over these tents. The prophets of old were filled or were anointed and called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak the Word of God in a way that they themselves were not able to do. We think, I, I don't know what we think, but when people say somebody prophesied in a service, people go, that's a bit weird. Have you read the Old Testament? It's full of prophecy. People go, oh, no, people in those days, they, they kind of had that, you know, Prophets were kind of like, culturally, it was like built into them. No, they were ordinary people like you and me with an extraordinary God empowering them by His Holy Spirit to prophesy and speak His words as Balaam did. Another example, just as I was going through, Ezekiel chapter 11. It says, The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. And the Spirit lifted me up, this is Ezekiel talking, to the exiles in Babylonia in the vision given by the Spirit of God. People frequently were given messages by God through visions in the Old Testament. And in Ezekiel's case, he says, the Spirit of God lifted me up. God wants to impart some knowledge of something that's coming in the future. He wants people to understand and be able to interpret something, circumstances that are going to happen. And by the Holy Spirit, he lifts Ezekiel up and gives him a vision. These are things which God did a lot in the Old Testament. I've picked out a few random things. Here's one which you might not have seen as well. First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 11. 
It says, Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms for the treasures. David's instruction to Solomon as to how the temple should be built was God-inspired by the Spirit. God, in the Old Testament, through many circumstances, comes to ordinary people. How does He select them? Wow! Sometimes I think they're selected because of character, which is appropriate. Sometimes He takes the most unlikely of people, probably because they're strategically placed. But He comes upon ordinary people, and by His Spirit, it says, by His Spirit, the Spirit of God is what achieves the things in those people that they cannot do themselves. The Spirit of God explains to Bazalel how to work with these precious stones and things to make the tabernacle. The Spirit of God says to David, this is exactly how God wants these plans laid out for the temple. He doesn't want the best that you can think of. He wants it specifically in this way. How do we convey it? The Spirit of God comes to David and inspires him to do it. It's a very, one could almost say, practical thing. God says, you can't do it by yourself. I will do it. I will work through you, and I will place my Spirit on you and through you to fulfill these purposes. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He shows power. He shows wisdom. He shows foresight. He comforts. He gives people what they need to do the job. You know, one of the places we're going with the series is people are going to be teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit as we find them in Corinthians. And if you look at the gifts, they're there so that people can do the job that they're supposed to do. Amen. They're not there as adornments on a Christian's life. How many gifts do you operate in? I operate in so many. I That's what they're there for. Mighty man of God, he operates in lots of gifts. The gifts are there to get a job done. That's why a workman carries around a box of tools, is to get a job done. He's not a better workman because he's got a bigger drill. He gets the job done because he's got the drill. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to us so that we can fulfill the purpose of God and we use them to achieve God's purpose and to bless the church and to grow the church and to reach the world. And God's been doing that since the Old Testament. The, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of ordinary people is not an invention of the modern charismatic church. It's just the way God operates. Because of time constraints, let's move quite quickly onto the New Testament. I want to refer you to a scripture in, in book of Matthew 12, 24 that I think is significant just to place a, a perspective on something. The Pharisees, as always, are trying to catch Jesus out. They are trying to discredit Jesus. They are trying to make people believe that he's not who they think he is. And it says, when the Pharisees heard that, this, Jesus just cast out a demon, they said... It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan, Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can this kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, 
By whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. Then listen to this. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born on the earth of Mary as a man. Flesh, blood, bone, nerve endings, brain, like you and me. Bible says he was very man, but he was also very God. Where did that very God come from? God operated on the earth through Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I do this by the Spirit. Jesus had been baptized in the Jordan and the Spirit of God descended on him and God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It then says when he goes into the wilderness to be tempted, Jesus, guided by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, goes into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus performed the miracles that he performed by the same power and strength that God used through other men. The difference with Jesus was he was completely and totally and fully submitted to his Father's Spirit. And so he was able to say, everything I say and everything I do is by the Spirit of God and guided by my Father. We differ from him in that our humanity gets in the way. Our pride and all those things. We, we're not totally submitted to God. But Jesus was walking in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. But it was the same process. God working through a man by his Holy Spirit. God incarnate. God putting on a flesh suit. Incarnate means in the flesh. Same word, chili con carne, meat. Carnivore, meat. God incarnate is God in the meat, God in the flesh. This thing that I've got here that you can see, this is my earth suit. I've got it for, I don't know, 70, 80, 90 years. The way I'm using mine up, I don't know how long it's going to go. But my spirit is alive to God, and it will be my spirit that will be with God. And God's Holy Spirit empowers me, fills me, and operates using this stuff to do what He wants down here on earth. Jesus was God incarnate, and God, through His Holy Spirit, gave Him the power to do these things that He was doing. He was God in the flesh. Amen. Same Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I do this by the Spirit of God. I guess I've got to jump forward to Acts chapter 2 because I'm doing more of a background than a detail today. Acts chapter 2 is the most famous passage on the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Jesus has returned to heaven and he said to his disciples, wait here because my Father's going to send his Holy Spirit to you. At that point, they were people who knew Jesus intimately. They'd spent years with him. They were people who had been trained by him. He had sent out 12, then he'd sent out 72. People had been around him. They'd been fulfilling tasks around him. They were people who were trained. They were people who were familiar. They were people who were called and appointed. He'd given them a task. They'd been given a task. They'd been given training, and they had experience. And yet he says, that's not enough. Don't move from this place until the next thing happens. It says in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and one of the first things that manifests is they start doing something that they can't do in their own strength. They didn't have a crash course in languages. 
Something was supernaturally, supernaturally imparted to them, and they began to physically manifest a skill, just like Bezalel learned a skill, and like uh, Balaam could prophesy. They began to do something that they could not do in their own strength, which had not been imparted to them by their training, by their experience, or by the fact that they had been called. It was now the anointing of the Spirit of God, and they start doing something which God needs doing in a different way. They run out into the streets, they begin to praise God, and people from all over the world hear them praising God in their own languages. To the extent that they go, there's something weird going on here. Something weird going on here. The next amazing thing we see happen is that Peter, who up until now has been terrified of actually standing up for God, he said he would, but when he was challenged at Jesus' uh, arrest, he, he ran away. People, Peter gets up and he, and he draws attention to himself and he starts preaching. And he says in Acts chapter 15, uh, 2, verse 15, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last God's I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see dreams. You know, the two interesting things that I see in this little passage of Scripture. First of all, God says, this is what I'm doing. I'm now pouring out my spirit on all those who follow me. This action by the Holy Spirit through people is going to become more widespread. But you know what I find interesting? Peter begins to recall Scripture and preach like a pro. Peter was a fisherman. If you look at his sermon, he goes on and he quotes Scripture and, he, and he, he lays out Scripture, he's like a theologian. He's operating at a level of preaching that he's never operated at before. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to touch on a couple more Scriptures just to show how widespread this became in the church. But this is where I'm heading. If God through the Old Testament and God in the New Testament, including Jesus, shows that in order for us to fulfill His purposes in this world, we cannot rely just on what we can do, then is it an imperative that we understand, know, and become intimate with His Holy Spirit? We can't do the things that God needs us to do just in our own strength. And I would say this to you, the devil knows that. Devil is terrified of the presence of God manifest through his Holy Spirit in God's people in this world. He's terrified of the body of Christ, empowered and motivated and informed by the Holy Spirit of God. And so he comes to God's people and he sows little seeds and says, this is all emotion and it's fizz and bubble, you don't need it. Or he comes to people and says, make a fool of yourself by charging some lines. Um, and then backing down. I mean, if the guy had charged the lines and they'd gone off, I would have said, maybe that was the Holy Spirit. But he gets us to either see it as weird and emotional and extraneous to what God really wants us to do, or he gets us to say we're afraid of the Holy Spirit. In any way that he can, he will come to you and say, this is not important. He will point out to you the people who are the most flamboyant in the way that they operate in the power of the Holy Spirit and say, they showmen, look at them. Look at them the way they carry on. Because let's face it, some, some of our brothers and sisters are quite flamboyant in the way that they operate in the Holy Spirit. And, the, and if you're a conservative person, he'll come to you and say, look at that guy making a fool of himself. If you're somebody who's slightly fearful of the awesome supernaturalness of God, he'll say to you, the Holy Spirit is too scary for you to get close to. Just honor him, respect him, but just stay quiet about him. 
And he'll try in whatever way he can to make you think that you can get by without the fullness of God operating through you. And in doing so, he will try and get you to limit what you do for God. I want to say as we talk more and more about this and as we go forward, I want to encourage you to use a term of my grandmother's, just jump in boots and all. God knows what he's doing. Don't be afraid to have all that God intends for you. I use an example quite often with the children at my school. When we accept Christ into our lives, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is available to us. The fullness of a relationship with God is available to us. How much are you using that in your everyday life? If I was to come to you and say, I really want to bless you. I've bought you a new motor car. I don't know what your favorite motor car is, okay? Whatever it might be. Let's say it's a nice SRK Mercedes with all the bells and whistles. And I've got this thing for you and I've given it to you. And you said, that's great. Thank you so much. And you then walked around to the back of the vehicle and began to push it wherever you went. That would be silly, would it not? If you decided, well, maybe I will use it, but you got in it and you only drove in first gear wherever you went with the radio off, the air conditioning switched off, and none of the facilities that that marvelous vehicle could offer you, people would say to you, that's silly. There's so much more. I would say to you that in our relationship with God, in terms of what God plans for us, intends for us, and wants us to do for the kingdom, the people He wants us to reach, the tasks that He has set for us and the goals that He has for us, if we see our salvation as a burden that we carry while we do that, we are silly. God provides an abundance of His presence, of His empowering, of His wisdom. It's available to us. If we're trying to do it in our own strength, why? Why? Can you imagine Bazalel? I like that name. I'm going to talk about him a lot in the future. It just runs all the time. Bazalel. If he was to say, yeah, we're going we're to build this tabernacle, but I don't want the Spirit of God to guide me. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to go off here on my own. I'm going to do it in my own strength. It would not have been the magnificence that it was. If the prophets of old had decided to go just on their strength and their training and their experience, the message they gave would not have been what Israel needed. And if you and I consider ourselves to not need this precious Holy Spirit of God operating through us, I want to say this to you, God will still love you. You will still go to heaven if you've given your life to Him. He will still do everything that He says He will do in your life. But you will not fulfill the fullness of what God can do through you if you try and do it by yourself. As we explore the Holy Spirit, and as we look, and I will look next week, I'm, I'm going to leave a couple of scriptures out that I had for today, about the fact that this was intended for all believers at that time and how it took them forward and what it means. I've lost my train of thought in that. We need, we need, we need God's presence in our lives. It's not something... I sometimes think that people go, I don't want to impose upon God. I don't want to be a flamboyant Christian. I, I don't want to, to be the person who, who pushes myself forward and be seen. Therefore, I will just be a, a quiet little Christian. I will stay in my small corner and I don't need all these extra things. They're for people who are more flamboyant than me. 
I'll just, when I was a child, we used to sing, Jesus bids us shine like a clear, pure light, like a little candle burning in the night. Do you know the chorus? In this world of darkness, so we must shine, you in your small corner and I in mine. I don't want to shine in a small corner. I want to shine for the kingdom of God. I, I want to get away from my own false modesty and my own sense of unworthiness and my own sense that other people should do this and say, God, use me. And in order to use me, I'll have all that you've got lined up through your Holy Spirit. I will be a channel because it's not you, it's not me, it's God working through us. All of these people, and it's been quite a superficial hop through, all of these people have done amazing things to an incredibly effective level simply because they were prepared to let God do what He needs to do on this earth to the people that He's got on this earth. When God says we are His body, He supplies the Spirit for the body of Christ. He supplies all that's needed for this body to function. I just need to be available to do it. I'm going to continue next week by looking at the early church and the work of the Holy Spirit there. And I'll discuss with Ant where I'm going to stop because we, we need to get to the point where we start talking about so how does this affect you and what can you do? But let me finish by reminding you, don't be afraid. Don't be aloof. Don't see the Holy Spirit as being an addition or an add-on. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. The personality, the nature, the compassion, the love, the same person. He's revealed himself. Draw close to him and let him draw close to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning you'll be able to use my rather stumbling words to excite people about the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room and in our lives. I pray that you will reveal yourself to us by your Holy Spirit, through your Holy Spirit, that you will draw us closer to the, the love and the compassion and the power that is in your presence and in your person. Yes, God. Lord, there's a chorus that says, fill us up and send us out. And I pray, Lord, that that's what you're going to do to Forest Town Church. Amen. That you will fill us up and send us out. Amen. Full of your purpose, full of your power, full of your wisdom, full of your compassion full of your love as we go into this world to do your work amongst those who don't know you. Thank you, Lord, for your patience. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that it's not a test we have to pass or a competition that we have to win. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your love. Lord, I pray that as we go forward from week to week in the future that you'll guide us into a deeper and deeper understanding of how each of us can interact with you. Thank you. Amen.